0: Hi, this is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Nash Tsunami podcast. This weekend, we are offering five conversations from Season 3, Episode 43, our look at the future of combination therapies, plus, from the more recent Vault, a section of a May 2022 episode on Nash drug development that presage the topics we discuss in this week's episode. This conversation starts with Naeem Al-Khuri confirming Mazen nuradines comment from earlier that a six-month study will be limited in terms of measuring maximum efficacy. Naeem continues to note how strong and consistent relative fat reduction was in patients in the study and shares his hope, based on these results, that in the future, robust combination therapies might cure, in air quotes, patients by regressing fibrosis and melting virtually all liver fat. Jorn Schottenberg asks how often we would track patients with NITs in a trial like this if the backbone agent were approved, the kind of futuristic design Mazin mentioned at the end of the previous conversation. Mazin suggests a protocol. Louise Campbell comments on patient adherence benefits of a therapy that produces rapid measurable results for patients, and then the group turns to the opposite question. What should be the Utility index—that is, how long should a patient receive a therapy that is showing no benefit before we stop it? In the last section of this conversation, I comment on the benefit of incorporating multiple liver targets or modes of action in a disease as multifocal and complex as NASH and NASH are. Naeem Your and Yorin agree, and add comments of their own. This conversation considers, in broad terms, the practical, clinical, and commercial issues that will frame the future of frontline drug development for the entire range of NASH patients, focusing both on drugs and, in a sense, diagnostics. It leaves a great deal for all of us to ponder so sit back listen enjoy learn and when you're done join the dialogue on our LinkedIn
1: or Facebook discussion groups name Alcurry. Mazen, I totally agree that the duration was short, and uh, we see that even with the weight loss with semaglutide, about 7 to 8%, as opposed to 16%, 17% that we saw in the step one program. This was, you know, with the higher dose 2.4, which was indicated for obesity. So, we, you know, again, we anticipate that these patients will continue to lose weight, and maybe that will enhance efficacy. Uh, the other point is when we looked at other fibrosis biomarkers, including ELF and MR Listography, We did not see a signal, but again, I think this has to do mainly with the duration of the study. So six months, you know, to see change in MRE is probably too ambitious and not realistic. Um, I think, you know, the exciting thing for me is to see rates in the 90% and that 30% relative reduction. And really, I'm hopeful that we get to a point with these combination therapies that we start talking about a cure for NASH in some patients uh, where there's really no evidence of the disease whatsoever, where there's not enough liver fat to call it naffold where the ALT and the AST are normal and the liver stiffness is back to a normal range. And we can tell, you know, some of these patients that, hey, at least for the time being, it seems like there is not anything to call nafold anymore. So that's the hope in the future.
2: Jörn Schottenberg. That's great. I'd like to revisit Meson's comment on the futuristic aspect of this trial. And clearly, the short duration does limit you with the times, the number you repeat this biomarkers. But one of the weaknesses in histology, we have a start and we have an end. We have two time points over, let's say, a 48-week trial. If we move to the next level and do NITs, Mazin, how often would you actually want to see these NITs being repeated to actually see, you know, a time response that maybe we can learn from too? What do you think is, is feasible from a financial aspect, also burden for the patient? You know, how often do they have to come back to the study center, do go to the MR or something? What's your view on this? How often are we going to get this in a 48-week trial?
3: Mazen Nuruddin. That's a big question, Yorn. I will try to use an example, which is this trial. Let's say I want to design it as phase 2B. Now I'm not gonna say phase three, so I don't get in, in trouble with certain people. Again, we need more evidence, we need to correlate with outcomes, and their works are being done with litmus nimble, neil and IT, and others on that. But let's say this study, if I want to design it, in this patient population, I will probably do it for nine months or a year on these patients, let's say 2b3, and I will get baseline six months for term analysis and on and end of the year. I would think that eventually we're going to reach a combination of NITs, meaning three to four, that will determine both change in NASH and fibrosis. And we have examples now. Again, I'm not trying to sell anything or bias toward anything, but let's say MAST or FAST, we get them at baseline, six months in term analysis, and then end of the trial and show that multiple NITs are heading the right direction. And many of them now are showing correlation with outcomes. And we can show, Eventually, that the improvement on these NITs lead to improvement in outcomes, and I think, and realistically, from cost standpoint, I think three time points within a year could be sufficient. Eventually, of course, with a smaller trials with a proof of concept that you really want to see the needle moving on anything or not, you might condense that with shorter duration and more NITs to have more confidence in this trial or the MOA.
4: Louise Campbell. I think you also Naim, when you were talking, actually showed a really good benefit. In, or reduction in the AST, ALT and Fibroscan over that short period. I think the ability to show real-time results to patients short-term really is a motivator to continue lifestyle modification in addition to the medications and to stay on the trials, but also in going futuristic, to be able to engage people in standard of care is this becomes that type of future quite quickly. That ability to show real-world results and how it benefits even small changes and those medications has the potential. And I think some of the outcomes that you described fit directly into that short-term reinforcement of that it is working. That sounded to me as a huge benefit that you can take into the real world patient population and get immediate turnaround on their behaviour change. Because we do want to reinforce any of these treatments in combination with lifestyle modification, because we might be treating one person with a drug, but we're treating the whole family because a lot of family members may be affected by the same condition and genetics, so it's more of a holistic with combination.
1: I totally agree with you, Louise. And the other point is also to look at futility of a drug. You know, we anticipate to have FDA approved drugs that will be costly, and I think uh, probably six months is a reasonable period of time. I mean, when we look at uh, A1C for diabetes, we do it every three months or so. There's no reason to do it more often than that. And the same with uh, you know doing mr elastography, PDFF, looking at. Uh, futility and response to treatment. We'll learn from the phase three trial designs before we have the drugs on the market. But for a drug like resmeterum, you would anticipate reduction in MRI, PDFF, ALT, lipids. And you're going to have patients in clinic that you assess at six months and don't see any of the above. And in that case, the the drug is futile and there's no reason to continue if you're not reducing your liver fat and your ALT is the same as you started. And I think six months is fair. Anything less than that would be too short. And then see some promising efficacy at six months, you said it also earlier, that we have to make sure that that response is not plateauing and that we continue to see improvement at one year. And then maybe after that, we start doing yearly assessments. Of course, patients with cirrhosis will need different monitoring. This is for non-cirrhotic patients.
4: Can I just ask, um, on the futility question, if you were to be able to look back in the clinical trials that you're doing now to pick up clear signs of futility at an earlier time point, would that be a benefit given the cost of of these medications?
1: Yeah, I think it's absolutely needed to realize also when to say a medicine is not working because when we look at the histologic response, for the most part, we're between 20 to maybe 60% response, whether you're looking at NASH resolution or fibrosis improvement. So there would be non responders, and this is easy with a medicine like semaglutide, right? If you've been on it six months and you haven't lost weight, probably it's not going to be effective as a treatment by itself. I think with Resmeterone, we're learning the importance of MRI, PDFF. And with every drug, there will be a combination of biomarkers, as Mazen said, that will help us decide when the drug is working and when it's not. But we have to think about it both ways. Obviously, we want the drugs to work for everyone, but also we have to think about the cost to the healthcare system.
0: Tonight first of all, you described this as your baby. At the risk of sounding like I'm saying something facile, your baby's really beautiful. This is a beautiful baby. Having spent my life in a whole bunch of drug areas, none of which were Nash, there are some underlying principles here that make it ton of sense. When you look at the pharmacokinetics of drugs, it turns out that the level that you require to get to peak efficacy is whatever it turns out to be, or significant efficacy. And then above that, the rate of safety and side effect issues rise a lot faster than incremental efficacy does. So there is a compelling logic that goes, if I can use lower doses of three different medications, that that should have the effect you noted on safety and side effects in addition to whatever value it has for efficacy. And I think that's great, number one. Number two is, I remember the first time I saw a map of the liver and in the context of NASH, I was struck by exactly how many different places there are that you can attack. We talk about the idea of taking shots on goal. The problem is the liver has 8, 9, 12, 15 different goals. You're not going to want to shoot four pucks at the same place. You're probably going to want to invest in three, four, five different therapeutic targets. So if you can do that at low dose, then you wind up with a safer world and you wind up with a better shot at meaningful efficacy because not you don't need to hit every target with every patient. But, you know, when you talk about a 95% estimate in three, that says to me that you're getting at least one strike on each target from 90% of your patients, which is pretty exceptional if you think about it.
1: Hey, am I reading that right? Yeah, I think you nailed it. Silofexor at the 100 milligram caused more issues with pruritus, increase in LDL. So using a lower dose is uh, helpful in terms of mitigating the adverse events. But we're still seeing potentially some of its antifibrotic effects, which is exciting. We know from the obedocolic acid data that there is a robust effect on fibrosis regression with the FXR agonist. So if we extrapolate this with silofexor and show that we can mitigate the main adverse events of pruritus and increase in LDL, I think that's exciting. Firsocostat is a very potent medicine, and it's not the only one out there. So there are other what we call acetyl-CoA carboxylase inhibitors, ACC inhibitors, and all of them have a very potent effect on reducing liver fat, and they all share the issue with increase in triglycerides. So in terms of defatting the liver, we are seeing the efficacy and then adding the semaglutide is uh, helping with mitigating the increase in triglycerides. So, as you said, it's both efficacy and also mitigating adverse events with using lower doses of the drugs.
2: It was very obvious. Roger, if I cut in, it was a very uh, obvious attempt. And I think there's a lot of compounds that could potentially be combined with semaglutide, uh, these beneficial effects. And, and congrats again to both of you two to setting this trial up and, and getting it running. And now, back to Roger.
0: We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. The next three weeks will be devoted to previewing and then covering the Paris and Nash meeting and the Easel Navalty Summit. September is a brutal month for travel schedules and as a result, podcast scheduling. We'll be using some hybrid episode designs and both Jorn and Louise will miss some episodes. I'll be here for all of them. It'll be a challenge and a bit of a wild ride for me, but if you know me by now, you know I love a challenge. So stick with us as we move through the month. If you're in the U.S., enjoy Labor Day, wherever you are enjoy the transition to what we hope will be more temperate weather stay safe and surf on we'll see you on podcast bye-bye now